0: Today on TechNado, we're going to be talking with Yan Zhu, the CSO of Brave. We're also going to be looking at the .org domain takeover and talk about HackerOne paying a bug bounty on their own website. That's all coming up on TechNado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined, as always, by Justin Dennison. Justin, how are you?
1: I am doing fantastic, Peter. Thanks for introducing me first. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Must be the given time of year. You're, well, you're,
0: you're right there, so I thought I'd do it first. I'm always right here. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> well, I see
0: Don first when I turn. And Don Pezet, how are you?
2: Hey, I am. You know, I am just glad to be a part of this professionally produced podcast that features journalistic excellence each week
0: yes uh, we should take a moment in this time after uh the thanksgiving holiday uh and and leading up to to the rest of the holiday season to say thank you um to to Brad uh our producer um thank you to uh Megan Brewster who is is doing our scheduling cuz she's doing an amazing job we have an amazing guest today. We have Yanzu, who is the CSO at Brave Software. They make the Brave browser, but uh, if you're familiar with, with her story at all, it, it's uh, pretty incredible. Um, went to MIT, worked at Yahoo all over the, the valley, um, done work with EFF and, and some great organizations, um, WC3, I think. Um, so uh, we'll be talking with her in a little bit about what makes the Brave um, browser unique, but you know, great job in the, on the scheduling work. Did some bang-up gas in the last couple of oh,
2: weeks. I was being funny, and then you went all serious. Like Those yeah. are things we actually have to be yeah. thankful for. Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> they make us look good as they best do. they can. They do. There's only so much they can do. Yep.
2: A lot of Photoshop. Well, you can't
1: yeah. Photoshop video. No, you can't, yeah. but, uh, right. but you can do. Th- Adobe Premiere
0: filters. Or yeah, a lot of filters. I, I'm, <laughs> is that why I look like a cat? My skin is radiant. <laughs> yeah, my skin That's is
1: That's because you're always... It. Anyway, carry on.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, so before that, though, we do have the news to get to, and you know, really, we kind of—I um, won't say took the Thanksgiving week off, but we 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 took it off from news. Uh, we went to the fun articles that week. So we do have. A backlog of amazing stories. not fun articles. Yeah, normally, you know, if we do like 10 articles, five of them are good, and the other five are just filling space. (laughs) This week, it is like 10 bang-up articles, top to bottom. Uh, You are setting
1: um, weird expectations. Yeah, so
0: let's get started. The first one obviously has to be amazing, Um, and it is from lifehacker.com. You can now install Windows 10 on your 16-inch MacBook Pro. And it's funny because I, I know someone who's already done that. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like um, if you're if you're not happy with with high, we're, we're we're not even on High Sierra now. We're on
2: Mojave, Catalina, Catalina, <laughs> Catalina. Well, I, I was like, what's the other one? People are you're a- still angry on with Mojave, right? Have you gone Catalina?
0: Uh, I think I'm on regular old Sierra, aren't I? Oh, you're still no, no. That went there? to Sierra, then Mojave, then High Sierra, then Catalina. Right. Okay, I'm I'm right before High Sierra. Wow, so so you're
2: way back there. I'll have to get in a DeLorean and go look at your laptop. Well, I like to use external (laughs) monitors or just some kind of security exploit we can use.
0: Uh, I'm on Sierra.
2: Well, running Windows 10 on a MacBook is not something new. You've been able to do this for a long time using Boot Camp, but when the 16-inch MacBook came out this year featuring the not sucky keyboard that we talked about two weeks ago, uh, they did not release Boot Camp drivers for it right away, and there were rumors circulating that Apple might finally stop supporting Bootcamp. You know, a lot of people, when they switched to a Mac, a big challenge they had was they would have all these Windows apps they needed to run, and Bootcamp kind of gave them a way to get around that. But thanks to virtualization and more people creating Mac versions of software and web-based, there's been less and less demand for Bootcamp. So there were rumors that they were going to stop it, but they didn't. Uh, they did actually just the other day. Um, actually, it's been about a week and a half now since they released the updated bootcamp drivers for that. Now you don't have to do anything on your laptop. You know, when you run the bootcamp wizard, it'll actually download all the latest drivers at that time. And so the, the newest drivers are out for that 16 inch MacBook and you can fire up bootcamp. And remember with bootcamp, you're not replacing macOS, you're doing a dual boot situation. So macOS is still there and Windows runs in a small part of that partition.
1: Uh, by the way, went and put my hands on one of these 16 inch MacBooks. Physical escape key. Keyboard feels fantastic. Yeah. Yeah.
2: in seal of approval.
1: Uh, it does. It does. I mean, still got a touch bar, but whatever. Uh, I have a physical escape key, and the keyboard actually has key travel. Uh, I, just, I just. How much plasma do you have to sell to. So I've been working on a spreadsheet to determine plasma and the number of aluminum cans that I have Mm. to collect Mm -hmm. uh, to sell back to the recyclers to buy one of these Well
2: your current laptop is uh, aluminum, right? You can recycle that too
1: yeah, I suspect the the sticker yeah, on the you, back of it that's like a, an item code <laughs> that says this belongs to oh, not just. Justin <laughs> might be a tip-up. Like I said, uh, the offer still stands, $25 per foot
0: rub, uh, so that'll get you there. <laughs> oh, you're rubbing my feet? Super. He'd give <laughs> it yeah, me $25? It, yeah, it's, one of those yeah no, things it's a thing. Then you'll just feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so that's
1: exciting. So, so Justin, if you do get this,
0: are you, are you going to uh, put Boot Camp on there?
1: I might. I mean, the Windows 10 has come a long way. I, there's times that people go, hey, what's the development experience like on Windows? I don't know. Uh, I, don't know. I haven't used it in a long time. So, uh, so I used might to use, give it a... I used
2: to use parallels. Is that, that, that's a virtual... Yeah.
0: Okay, so that's not like so that's where it's a physical... The
2: problem with boot camp is you have to partition your disk, right? So you're actually setting aside a block of your hard drive to make it exclusively av- available for boot camp. And you can't share files... Well, you can Roughly. share files sort of, but only one operating system running at a time. So if you really want to share files, now you got to get like an NTFS driver for Mac or a, well, now an AFS driver for uh, Windows. And and that's all kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. So virtual machines like in Parallels or VMware Fusion, they're so much easier because you can be running macOS and now you're running Windows on top of it and you can easily exchange stuff. So that's why I think a lot of people don't bother with bootcamp anymore. And Parallels is pretty cheap. It's like, 50 bucks or something. Yeah. It's it's come down quite a bit.
0: All right, let's head over now to our next story over on mashable.com. Powerful internet authority says it's powerless to stop to stop billion dollar dot .org takeover. So, if I'm understanding this this right, which I think I am, they're basically the people in charge of the dot .org uh top-level domain are selling it or selling that authority?
2: Selling selling sold. This is sold. already done. Done. Yeah. This is a done Can't deal. Even stop it. So, right. a lot of controversy on this one, a little bit of uh, uh, kind of like a hostile takeover in a way, and that nobody can stop it. Um, about a year ago, ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, who's in charge of the whole DNS registry kind of thing, the hierarchy, uh, they have a simple responsibility, and that is to make sure that DNS resolution works. And then they coordinate with a number of registrars to handle all the top-level domains. And so a registrar called the PIR, which I believe is Public Internet Registry, is that what that stands for? Mm-hmm. I believe. Interest. Public Interest Registry. Uh, public Interest Registry. Uh, they were a nonprofit that controlled the .org TLD. And so they, they would report to ICANN, but ICANN didn't actually control them. So as long as they made it where .org domains would resolve and they were upholding their, their requirements. Now, ICANN had a limit on the rate that PIR could charge, and it was $10 per year per domain. And earlier in the year, they removed that limit. So now PIR could charge whatever they want. Well, now a private equity firm comes along and scoops up PIR for about $1.3 so $1.3.5? 1. Or one point oh,
1: one three five. Yeah, one point oh. one three five. I all mean, right. at that point, eh, we're splitting yeah. hairs. Yeah,
2: so uh, a change. hair over a billion dollars. They've acquired it. So now this private equity company, in other words, a for-profit company, owns .org and can charge whatever they want for the domains, and a lot of people are unhappy
1: about that, and it's all been done in the public eye, and no one was able to stop it. So it, reading through this article, it seems like several people involved with money of these organizations, like, oh well, I worked here, and then he worked here, and then I worked over here with him, and so they knew each other, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, The what what is the big issue here? Because like if I have a bunch of .orgs, right? I buy this company. What keeps them from just leaving? Like I don't understand what's the play there, or is it the fact that this is a precedence for the other things being sold off?
2: Well, so the the deal here is that in the past, most people assumed that .org was only available to nonprofit organizations, and that was because if you if you look at websites that use .org, like EFF .org and stuff, like they they were generally nonprofit or public interest companies and so on. But the reality was anybody could buy .org. Uh, hell, I bought ITProTV.org .org one day. Just yeah, it's like edu for, is one of the only ones that you have to or .gov. Yeah, or, and, and the edu one, of their checks on that are so yeah. Basic than anybody could really buy one like if they .dot ao. You have to be a jerk. So you could buy .dot org <laughs> if you wanted and start selling, you know, and, and making a profit and all that stuff, all you wanted. Uh, so people had this perceived innocence around it, and the fact that PIR ran it and they were nonprofit that meant they weren't price gouging, and so there was like this this wholesome feeling wrapped around org, and that's now gone because you know private equity firms are not warm and cuddly, and they're, you know, they're looking to get a return on their investment. If they invested $1 billion, they're looking to get $2 billion out of the investment, or probably more, right? Uh, and I'm not saying private equity is evil or anything. It's just they, they make money. That's why they exist. So that's the real scuffle here. Uh, top-level domains have been for sale for a long time, right? Google owns several. Uh, you've got uh, Amazon owns—didn't they buy .amazon? Wasn't there a big scuffle over that one? Uh, when they announced the new TLDs, you know, when they did like .dot yeah. museum and yeah. .dot info and stuff, that, several that of them belong own, to Brazil. Brazil was all pissed off about it. About, uh, about Amazon, yeah, nice, yeah. And I mean, they they don't like the fact that Amazon is called Amazon yeah. anyway.
0: Um, Were they mad that they also uh, Amazon calls their tablet the Fire? They're like, no, we. Are the only ones that I can have Didn't think about fire that, in the but, Amazon. Uh,
2: I always wonder why they picked Amazon as a name. I never read the history. Like they because they used to just sell books. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, Amazon is full of trees. Oh, books are made of books. paper. Is
1: this you are saying you <laughs> kill the Amazon? Is that <laughs> It's our fault. Or maybe they just build giant trees out of the books, and that's that's what's surrounding Bezos' house. It's a circle of life. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Full so uh trees. so anyhow, a lot of people are looking at this as a shady transaction that the wholesome.org is no longer that way. Uh, somebody came out. A couple of people that were a part of ICANN came out and said, "Look, let's say they did something crazy, like jacked up rates six times. You'd go from ten dollars a year to sixty dollars a year. That's not a big deal." Uh, some people came out and said, "Well, what if I own ten thousand domains?" And the answer to that is well, then you're a you're domain a squatter, and yeah, we so screw and you. we hate you.
0: <laughs> so. yeah. Well, that, and that's the concern for me is not uh, not the person that says, oh, well, I guess I'm not going to buy a .org now. But if you have a .org and that's that's what your company is based around, and you've got you know that printed on every single thing you have and every ad you have, and everyone knows your your company by that, and all of a sudden they you know raise the renewal rate by hundred times. You know're yeah. you're, you're kind of uh, handcuffed to your uh, your domain there because that's that's a lot of money to change um, for your for your business from a, from yeah. a branding perspective
2: which could happen with any TLD so mm-hmm. .org is really the only one that's surprising all right uh, well let's
0: uh, switch gears now over to our next article at zdnetcom HPE tells users to patch SSDs to prevent failure after 32,768 hours of operation. Uh, The HPE SAS SSD users uh, need to install a critical firmware patch or or they will lose their SSDs Including their data, and I actually originally saw this on on Reddit in in a SysAdmin um, uh, sub where people or someone said, "Hey, this happened to me, and we lost all of our stuff." So uh, this this is something that's real, and, and it's is definitely affecting people. But first question I had for you, Don, is why is it? Thirty-two thousand seven hundred sixty-eight hours, and and it made total See, sense once you said
2: it. This is one of these interesting things where, to to somebody who's involved in like binary numbers or or just like the, the work I've yep. done in databases, is where I've got it, uh, thirty-two thousand seven hundred sixty-eight is a is an important number. But to the average man on the street, it, it doesn't really mean anything, yep. right? Uh, but Justin, not. you you know why it's significant, right?
1: Uh, so uh, it's. I tell you what, Don. If you'd ask me any other time but no, it's gone. Oh, man. It's gone. Man. Now you Mr. put the pressure Mr. on it. Math it's, over It's gone. Hey, man, gone. on the street.
3: Right, so
2: 32,768 is the smallest number you can write in 16 bits. So I wanted to say 32 bits. A 15-bit number would go to 32,767 before you, you know, ran out of, of bits to write it and have to go to 16-bit. So while HP hasn't specifically said it, it's pretty obvious. Like They, they were doing something that relied on a counter and they were only giving it 15 bits to store that counter in. Unfortunately, this counter was some kind of health check for the drive. And so as that drive would run, it was keeping track of how many hours it had been running. It probably part of some health reporting or whatever that it was doing. And as soon as it hit 32,768 hours, it was no longer able to store that. And so their default mode of instead of saying, well, I guess everything's okay, is it said, nope, I guess everything is dead. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> we should delete everything. <laughs> and you know that's the weird part is it doesn't delete everything; it just stops working, and so technically the data is still there, but there is no way to get to it. HP just says that's it, you, or HPE says you can't get to it. Um, now, two things that I want to point out here is is one that there's, there's no way to get past this, but there is a fix, right? So there's a firmware update. If you haven't hit thirty-two thousand seven hundred sixty-eight hours yet. You can apply the firmware update. They've published a list of drives that are affected. The second thing is, this is HPE, and these are SAS drives, serial-attached SCSI. So if you're worried about your laptop or your desktop, don't be. Uh, HPE or their enterprise products. These would be in servers. So if you've got, like, HP ProLiant servers, then you may well have drives that are affected by this. But desktops, laptops, not not a problem, not something to worry about.
0: And and uh, for those of you doing the math at home uh, or, or driving, trying to do the math, that's uh... – uh, 1365 days or 3.74 uh, years. Um, so, yeah, so these would be if you if you had that drive running there and running smooth and perfect
1: and, uh, for 3.73 3 years. If if you're listening to this and you got an hour left to do that firmware yeah. update, go ahead and hit pause. We won't feel bad. <laughs> right? Fast. Go figure it out Whoa. and come on back. We got some more stuff for you. <laughs> you're like, when
0: yep. did I buy that?
2: You know what really stinks is there's like a list of 15 drives that they've set the firmware release date for December 9th, uh, which is, is well, it, I think it'll probably be the day this podcast rolls out. Right? <laughs> uh, we're filming a little ahead. So um, you know, yesterday. imagine if you know your drive is affected, but the firmware update's not out yet. You have oh, to think man. like, am I, am I coming up on my 32,768 hours? I don't know. And now I got to wait four more days. This can be a crappy four days.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Could you you turn it off? Well, yeah, but if it's your server. Well. Because this is not a laptop. That's true, that's true because it's hours that it's running, not
2: hours that right. It's, okay. And so you got to roll the dice and just go.
0: I'm <laughs> like <laughs> oh, I'd be
1: I'd be on support line and be like, "Yo, so seriously, like email that on over. We're going to have to figure it out." And
2: if you think about it, like people probably have hot spares in their arrays, but the timer's running even though it's the spare. So you're just you're hosed. like all your drives die simultaneously. Can you run something
0: on your drive to see how many hours it's been running?
1: Probably. There's probably some firmware utility that'll do that. I, I would hope so cuz otherwise I'd be like you never know is it today tomorrow? nope, it was yesterday sorry
2: like the, if you're in the h p insight manager that that thing shows you all sorts yeah. of data about your ProLiant servers, so like it would probably report back or
1: um yeah the uh, the amount of information you can get from like server level hardware and stuff is is pretty crazy,
0: yeah, all so. right so check and, yeah uh, <laughs> check and patch yeah uh on yep. Monday Trust <laughs> but verify, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right. Our next article is over on techrepublic.com. The 20 fastest rising and sharpest declining tech skills of the past five years. Uh, Docker saw the most significant percentage increase, while Closure, Closure, Closure. Yeah. I, I want to make sure I'm saying that. Or with Closure. A a. Uh, it's not with an S. Uh, saw the greatest decline, indeed, hiring lab found. So, um, like, these are, if this is indeed looking at it, these are skills related to the. Uh, what people are looking for in in the in the workforce
2: right and you know just a we won't go over the whole list because it's kind of long but i thought it was kind of neat the the top five fastest growing skills and this is all based on like job postings and other things that are out there uh, docker saw a 4162 percent increase uh, which is pretty impressive iot in general was second place ansible was third Kafka was fourth, which I was kind of surprised to see, uh, and then Azure was fifth, which makes sense because Azure has been making huge gains on AWS. So kind of neat to see those top five. Uh, Justin, oh, anything
1: weird jump out at you? Too. Yeah. Uh, so Tableau, and just because like like right. I know I know it's yeah. used and I've I've seen it before, but I wouldn't have seen I wouldn't have expected it to have almost a three times, yeah, three hundred percent growth. Um, well, and I'm also surprised hands, that machine right? learning is not number one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, AI machine learning. Um, I, I will, I will say I would be very careful because these are percentages. So sometimes if you already have a large set, like closure, if it's our, excuse me, a small set of individuals, a small change may result in a large percent change, um, yeah. as described by that. So yeah. Uh,
0: uh, on what I was trying to say, uh, on August 1st, 2019, Salesforce acquired Tableau. Yeah. So I wonder, well, I guess that wouldn't have
1: had time to really affect this. Interesting about the sharpest declining ones like Clojure, EJB, Servlet, JSP, and then Solaris is Solaris. number five. <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah, and then Struts was number six. Those are all Java technologies. Uh, so, hmm, seems like maybe there's a common thread. Who knows? I Flash. figured Java would have dropped.
2: I mean, not Java. Uh, Solaris would have dropped off years ago because Oracle really has not paid it much attention. Uh, but we're just now seeing that. Oh, wait off. a minute.
1: They they own Solaris.
2: Oh yeah, because they they bought
1: Sun. Oh yeah. And so they own. So Solaris. what you're telling me is, is the top six have some way have a tie back to Oracle? Yeah. Of the sharpest the, declining. The on. bottom six. Yeah. <laughs> well, of the sharpest yeah. declining.
2: And you know, I remember way back when I was in college, everybody wanted to do the Java track. Because that was the up-and-coming enterprise language. Like, if I'm going to go out and get a job, I need to know Java. But it didn't take all that long for people to realize that Java is really a pain. And now everybody switched to these web apps that don't require Java, and it's, it's a dying skill.
0: So would you say if uh, if you're looking at this list and your job uh, involves maintaining one of these systems on the sharpest declining, you should uh, maybe get some training in the – well. Rising ones?
2: Maybe, but I mean, Cobol. if you're a Cobalt developer yeah. these days, you can make some good money. L- Listen. Yeah. Hang in there. You're, you're, maybe your you're one developer. of the
1: five people who still knows struts, yeah. and you could have patched that Equifax issue mm. and mm. see you would have commanded your price. I mean, You might be
2: unemployed different. for the next 20 years, but then all of a sudden you'll be able to command top dollar. Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: And it'll be worth all the opportunity cost. Some of these look yeah. just made up to me. I, like what? Uh, Cocoa. Uh, that is the UI framework for Mac. Nope, that is a Gorilla. Um, You know, there was the Tandy Coco
2: also, which had its own, it was uh, the foundation of like Commodore Computer. Oh,
1: oh, oh. For some reason, I was still on Gorilla. I was like, there's another Gorilla named Tandy Coco? But sorry. (laughs)
2: Windows XP was listed. How is that a skill? I
0: don't Uh, know. Yeah,
2: it seems like that. All right, well, they might as well put Internet Explorer on there.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By by the way, uh, we're not playing buzzword bingo today, but we really should have been because we've got uh, machine learning is is on. I think we had blackout just on this article. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I scribbled in the whole page. All right. Let's head over now uh, to our next article from hackaday.com. Raspberry Pi 4 HDMI is jamming its own Wi-Fi. And now this is not the first... Issue we've seen with the Raspberry Four. What was the What was the other one? We the had? first
2: one was that uh, when you hooked a USB charger up to it, sometimes the charger would see it as yes. an audio device and not provide and power. Not
0: power, yeah. So uh, this, I mean, again, we're talking about the the ports and the inputs basically for it. So. Uh, are are they just too close to one another where it's causing interference?
2: What they found was that if you if you set the Raspberry Pi to have a certain resolution, which I think was like twenty five
1: sixty by fourteen forty.
2: All right, uh, which was you know common on some of those Dell ultra-sharp monitors and stuff. Uh, that if you set the resolution to twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, it would generate a RF or frequency mm-hmm. modulation or whatever at just the right frequency to disrupt the HDMI signal, and so. I mean or the Wi-Fi the, HMI, the oh. Wi-Fi right so the HDMI chip would then begin interfering with the Wi-Fi and you'd lose network connectivity you switch to a different resolution and all of a sudden you're on the network again so fortunately they were able to fix this with a software update which they've pushed out in in Raspbian and a few other ways uh, but if you have been experiencing some flaky Wi-Fi on your Raspberry and you've been running at that resolution then that would likely
1: be the culprit so, I'll tell you what that was is one of the most infuriating types of issue you're like hold on, why is the Wi-Fi going out? And you're looking at, oh, is my network manager being janky? Oh, well, let me plug this in. I would rebooted it 7,000 times, and then, well, it's working now, but, man, my monitor looks weird. Let me fix that resolution. Wi-Fi is down again. <laughs> uh, an endless loop. Yeah. Mm. Is there, um, you can hardwire
0: internet, to, well, I guess you could use a USB Ethernet adapter. But too. It has an Ethernet jack on it. It does that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Wow.
2: Well. So you got options, but still, if you're trying to use it as a wireless device and it's hooked up to a monitor, then you got a big problem. But uh, I I think like Justin really hit the nail on the head that if it's an intermittent issue, it's only when you're connected to this one monitor. Like that's really hard to troubleshoot and and figure out.
1: By the way, um, if you have a monitor that's running twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, is a Raspberry Pi four the device that you plug up to it? Well, we were just in a situation where we saw they were using Raspis like behind the TVs to run
0: different. Uh, you know, marketing things. Oh or, yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, there could Tableau,
2: be. Tableau, you could actually be showing your
1: Tableau report. There yep, you go. Yep, the, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your Coco. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Using closure.
0: <laughs> Clojure. Java. Like Clojure? I know
2: that's a word too. Randy Couture? What? Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Uh, let's head over to our next article on CNBC.com where we get all of our tech news. Amazon's cloud business bombards the market with dozens of new features as it looks to preserve its lead. Uh, You were mentioning before Azure uh, making uh, big leaps, but uh, Amazon's not going to take that lying down.
2: Yep, AWS's reInvent conference was uh again super inconveniently scheduled right alongside Thanksgiving. It's I, I don't know why they do that. It's like a nightmare to travel to. The Venetian is much cheaper that week to <laughs> rent out. That's why we don't go to reInvent. Yeah. Uh but the the conference happened and they announced a ton of new stuff. I don't know if either of you guys have logged into the AWS console recently and pulled down that services list. They have so many services. I think it said 174 or something like that. They're up to 175 services now. And at reInvent, they announced, hang on, it's, it's in the article. i got to find it here. Uh, they, they announced several new services. Uh, 28 new services launched at reInvent this year, uh, 23 of which were made during Andy's keynote. So in the keynote speech alone, he announced 23 new features. It's, I see two sides of this, right? So on one side, Amazon is moving really fast to adopt new features and make sure they can maintain control of the cloud market because they're getting a lot of competition from Azure. On the other side, like, damn, focus in on making (laughs) some stuff really, really good. they're, They're taking the shotgun approach and just hitting like every service possible.
1: Yeah, I mean the Graviton too. I might. That's a new processor that they built in house that they're gonna allow you. I was actually in the EC2 instance um, uh, console today, mm-hmm. and it now selects. Hey, do you want an arm or do you want, like? It pushes that up front. So that's kind of interesting. And they do have a managed Apache Cassandra. And if you've ever tried to set up a Cassandra cluster, you're like, cool, that's awesome. Uh, but there's some other things here that I'm not sure. I would be weary about using them right offhand. Well,
2: you know, the fraud detector Yeah, I thought was really cool. So if you're running a web application and you need people to sign up for an account, well, Amazon has a ton of experience in dealing with fake accounts because tons of people are trying to set up Amazon accounts. And so what they've done is they've taken all the stuff they've learned about detecting fraudulent logins and made it a service where you can now leverage their API when somebody's signing up for an account and basically benefit from all the millions and millions and millions of transactions that Amazon does in a given day to identify fraudulent activity. I think that's really cool. So I'm not saying these aren't cool features. Some of them are really neat, but it's just there's so many. You gotta. It's hard to stay on top of what's available and, and what isn't.
1: But at least they're not like Google, where they kill them off after two weeks. This is true. They do stay around for a while, at least, to see, you know, give them a good, uh, the old college try, if you will. And uh, some of these features were actually extensions to pre existing uh, things like SageMaker. SageMaker already existed, which was like make AI easy for everybody. Uh, but they started adding some additional things like a built in uh, IDE that just kind of drag and drop kind of feel. Yeah. So that's pretty fun. Uh, by the way, if you haven't been playing buzzword bingo and you don't have your pen on you, I'm I'm surprised. There's there's several that just came up right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is not the week. Um, mainly because it. there's this uh, wavelength. It, it there's like five G in there, cloud computing and uh, oh, yeah, crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, wavelength is one that I I don't know if I would use ever for anything I do. I didn't see a cryptocurrency one though. That I know.
0: That. I know. We're gonna talk about that. Oh, good point. Yeah, we'll hit that one. By the way, we're we're trying to come up with band names for our uh, our rock band competition uh, here in the office, and uh, my suggestion of Kenny Five G was was knocked down. Kenny Five G. Also like uh, Fifty Centos. What well, that was right. another one I had. So
2: Fifty Centos would probably your group. You have a lot of millennials in your group, we do, right? Yeah. They probably don't know who Kenny G is, but they know who Fifty Cent is. They do, yeah, so. <laughs> they, they they might they're
0: in marketing. They might not know what Centos is.
2: Oh good point. So it's hard to find a winner there. Yeah.
0: It's but if fun. it was
1: the TikToks <laughs> Oh sure. You mean Vine? The it's just Vine? Millennial Vine. It's just Vine. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure someone was like, all right, so Vine's dead. It's long. You still got Vine. the Vine code base. Yeah. yeah you Let's know do some quick China. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some tweaks. Let's rebrand it. Boom. TikTok. I think
0: China more said, Hey, what's a way to get uh, the information on all the the, the new uh, Americans? Oh, you can make a thing for them. Okay. There you go. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's head over to the street now. Is that Jim Cramer's site? It is. Uh, All right. Uh, This article, Costco's Thanksgiving Day website crash, cost it nearly $11 million. Here's one example of where it might have paid to physically line up in the wee dark hours of Thanksgiving to score a Black Friday deal.
1: No, no, Lining up? With- Absolutely not. All right.
2: So, you know, here in the United States, after Thanksgiving, we have Black Friday, which is the largest shopping day of the year. It's called Black Friday because a lot of retailers are in the red, in other words, negative earnings, and all of a sudden on that day, people start spending their holiday money and they get into the black and become profitable. I never knew that. Big deal. Oh, that's why it's called
1: Black. I Friday. thought it was because of all the bruises. Yeah, the black eyes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, it's of the horrible, horrible shopping massacres that were perpetrated yeah. hundreds uh, of years ago. Yep. Sure. Uh, but, or they became profitable in, in the black. <laughs> so there's that. Um, now, this year there were several articles on it. I didn't pick most of them because they're kind of boring. Like, uh, less people showed up in person this year than ever before, I guess. Cause so what most, happened to Cyber Monday? Isn't it's that still happening? Monday, Monday's still a big deal. Yeah. But a lot of people are starting their Black Friday deals early, and they're starting them online. And so why why I, I didn't go to a single store all weekend? So you know, and, and did some online shopping. But what I thought was really cool about this article is we hear about websites going down. And, and I always think, the first thing I think is, man, I'd hate to be one of their IT admins. Like I bet they're working some late hours and you, know, you feel bad for them. But there is an actual dollar value attached to an outage. And going down on one of the busiest shopping days of the year costs you real money. In this case, it cost them about $11 million. And they were down for, I forget, it was like eight hours or something. Oh, 16 hours. 16 hours. So, you know what does that work out to math man 800 grand an hour
1: ish yeah around about so,
2: 11,000 a minute so that's a lot of money and so if you're ever talking to a CIO and saying hey we need this UPS or this generator and you're trying to cost justify it you can say well you know, if you look at Costco here, it cost them eleven million dollars to be down for sixteen hours.
0: And do we know why it went down? Was this a, a basically a denial of service from all the people?
2: Yeah, they, they just couldn't handle the load. They they either hadn't made it to scale properly or had left some limits in place. You see that a lot with AWS, where people design it to scale, but they don't realize there's a twenty instance limit on their account and things. You got to you put
1: a you got to put in a support ticket to get those removed, and that's to safeguard you to keep you from getting like a thirty thousand dollar bill because someone. Right. You accidentally pushed your keys to GitHub, and someone's like, ooh, crypto mining. Um, this is one of those things, yeah, the limits, but even then, you think it would take 16 hours? Like, if I'm that type of customer, if I was using, let's say, AWS, I would be paying for premier support, right? I think their top-tier support is, what, you get a response in an hour? Yeah, but they were closed for the holiday.
0: Yeah, uh, Amazon
1: closed. I. I imagine well, now that that might be true, but
2: I imagine uh, you know they were fully staffed. Uh, but it's Costco, right? So what they had to do is they had to first had to show their ID card to tech support, <laughs> take it in the door. And they had to describe the problem and show them the receipt. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you had to buy bulk support. So what's funny is some of the AWS services actually came out of Amazon going down very similar to this, and they did a cost analysis and they said, no, we can't afford to be down because we lose. You know, well, this was $11,000 a minute. I tell you what, $11,000, I'm like, we got to be up. We got to yeah. do it right now.
2: All of a sudden, that $50,000 generator or those extra servers that are turned off most of the year, all of a sudden, that cost is negligible. Yep.
0: Yeah, they could have got yep. that at Sam's. Um, <laughs> I was not able to get my pallet of toilet paper, so uh, very
2: upsetting. But I did get a, a shop vac at the Home Depot. I did get 200 gallons of Heinz ketchup. Oh,
1: yep. yeah. Mm. <laughs> gone, a, gone in the weekend. With a, with an electric pump yeah. and a <laughs> water hose. Yeah. <laughs> And with, with all the leftover turkey, that really, you know, because it gets dry. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I put ketchup on my leftover that's turkey. What, <laughs>
2: a shop vac was your big Black Friday
1: steal? It was. It was $39. What what, uh, what size?
0: Normally a uh, 16-gallon. Oh, oh, that's not bad. Normally what, How many horses? Uh, Horsepower, by the way. S-
1: six and a half, I think. Man, that's... Oh, yeah. That's got a lot of sucking power. I'm going <laughs> to spill things just to clean them. Yep, yep. Make sure you take the filter out. It'll get wet oh, for and the, stink. For the water? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got. It.
0: I haven't put it together yet. Uh, all right. Next, uh, let's head over to slash dot, dot org. He gave a cryptocurrency talk in North Korea. The U.S. arrested him. Dun dun dun. dun. So is this like coming back through uh, through customs? He got arrested. Yeah, <laughs> man. So
2: the New York Times and I. I I linked the Slashdot article on this one instead of the New York Times one because— Because you could get to it? Well, yeah, there was the paywall, right? (laughs) So there was that. Uh, But also, like, the New York Times was framing the United States as being this criminal organization, which, in reality, like, this guy knowingly went to North Korea to give a talk— Uh, First off, he he knew he wasn't supposed to go to North Korea. He got a visa to go to China, Mm -hmm. flew to China and then flew to North Korea from there. So he he kind of already knew it. But he was interviewed ahead of time and somebody asked, isn't this going to violate sanctions? And the guy said, yeah, yeah, it is. And so he went over there knowing that. And now he comes back playing the game of,
1: oh, I didn't know. I was just giving a talk. I'm a enthusiast. Yeah. Except for the interview we have on tape, but, with you saying you knew, and and his talk was very interesting topic here. He's it was about money. using. It was like, <laughs> yeah, how to launder, how to use cryptocurrency to remove yourself from like the world's financial industry, yeah. which is launder. how sanctions work. How to launder the money you gained uh, through your state-sponsored hacking? Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's part of Ethereum, right? He was part of the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, was he? Yeah, I think so. Uh, American citizen, lives, and works for Ethereum Foundation. You know, most, okay, I knew he was a part of one of them.
0: Most of the conferences we go to are, you know, uh, San Francisco, uh, Las Vegas. If everyone came across across it was in in Pyongyang or Ping, Ping Yeah, I can't even say that word now. Pyongyang, that place. Pyongyang. I, I just feel like that's okay. not the one. That's not the one for me. So real quick, do I have to shave my beard if I ever go there? You have to have one of the approved hairstyles if you live there. I think, as a a visitor.
2: Yeah, because Dennis Rodman, he... uh, Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I wonder if it's like the interview, though. Do you get to drive in a tank while you're there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that didn't work out for them in the long run. What do you think is going to happen to him? You think he's actually going to... I would be shocked if he doesn't get jail time over this. I mean, well, he's in jail right
2: now, Yeah. so I guess we should clarify that. Uh, I don't think they're going to hit him up on treason or anything, but they should, at a minimum, sentence him for being incredibly stupid. He should have to stay in one of the North Korea jails, though. <laughs> yeah, because people survive that. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And his kids should, too, because that's yeah. how that works. Oh, yeah, the whole family. Yeah, the transgenerational jail sentences. Well, me. So th- this guy is fairly young, right? How old 38? is he? 38? 36. 36. Thirty-six. I can't yeah. read,
2: but you know, Lasik. Fairly young, but old enough to know that what he was doing was dicey at best. Yeah. and you know you can't go and effectively commit a crime overseas, and it's not like Las Vegas where what happens in Vegas stays. What happens in North Korea, which also
0: is not true, then, yeah. according to my record. <laughs> no.
2: So he goes over there and he gives this talk, and then he he even offers to set up a way to like. Transition money between North Korea and South Korea and, and all these things are just in like blatant disregard of the
1: international sanctions uh, and then comes back and the world is shocked that he gets arrested. It was funny at the end of the, uh, the Slashdot, the Emmanuel Goldstein uh, 2600 magazine editor said he would not help a murderous dictator. He's just a typical hacker who loves adventure and technology. Well, he certainly had technology and adventure on this one. He did, and uh, he's a contributing I, writer for them. Yeah, no, it says uh, the magazine's editor. Yes, but I'm saying, Mr. Griffith it's is. A, yeah, so yeah, no, I was saying the the quote at the end.
2: Yeah. And I I would argue that it's not a murderous dictator. I doubt he's murdered anybody. He's probably just like ordered. Oh the yeah. Murder. <laughs> wait a <laughs> minute. Wait a minute. Still wait. is murder.
0: Yeah, according yeah. to.
2: Well, that's American law. Uh so I don't know. Yeah. So anyhow, we'll see where that one goes, but uh, you know, it just goes to show like technology can be used for the forces of good and it can be used for well, even if you think it's the forces of good, if it's still illegal, you cannot do it without expecting to get arrested.
0: Pyongyang. Good job. Okay. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's head over now to dataviper.io, and I apologize for making fun of your uh, top-level domain earlier. Um, Personal (laughs) and social information of 1.2 billion people discovered in massive data leak. Personal and social information of 1.2 billion people discovered in the 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 subheadline is the headline again.
2: Yeah, the uh, the website's impressive. That. Like if you start to scroll down, it, the paragraph disappears. I don't really yeah. understand, but uh, uh, anyhow, what they found here was something interesting, and it, it does open up a little bit of an area for a debate. So basically, what they found was a uh, an Elasticsearch or Elastic Search, or no, that was right, Elastic Plastic. Search uh, database hosted in AWS that was wide open to the world. And when they looked at the database, what they found was four terabytes of data. That contained personally identifiable information for roughly 4 billion people. That's most of us. And uh, I think they de anonymized it at some point, or not, they deduplicated it. uh, And it actually ended up being about 1.2 billion people. And what they found was uh, name, email address. Uh, hang on, they got the whole list here: company website, company industry. You know, uh, information about where you worked, uh, website, a short biography of the people, like just all sorts of information about people stored in this wide open database that anybody in the planet could connect to and query against. And they tracked back where this information came from, and it looks like it came from two data aggregation companies. These are companies that collect data, either scraping it off of web pages or other places, and they put it all together to create a database of users with information that's in theory public, and uh, and then they turn around and sell it and do marketing stuff. It's kind of like Cambridge Facebook. Analytica or somebody, <laughs> yeah, Facebook, uh, and. This was data from more than one company, so they're not sure if these companies got hacked or if somebody actually bought the data from the companies, which would be legitimate, uh, and then just irresponsibly threw it into this database. No one is sure exactly who owns that server, but it didn't belong to either of the companies whose data was hosted in there. So now there's this mystery of this massive information leak that's not really tied to any particular company. Does Amazon not know who paid for that? You would Space? think, and uh, I don't know if, because there's not a, like, there's not a, a person reporting this as a crime, so I don't know if the FBI is going to investigate it or not, but if the FBI does, then they could go to Amazon and they could find out who spun up that instance, or it's not even an instance, right? Uh, Elasticsearch would be multiple instances. So they should be able to figure it out, but we just don't know right now. So I disagree. mean, the
1: amount of data that they had was, I mean, some of it was pretty crazy, um, because he was talking about a phone number, it was like it listed this phone number. I was like, "That's not my phone number." And he said, "I did a little bit of research, and I had a TV phone bundle ten years ago, and had a phone number that was I never actually used." And boom, that was the phone number. And you so can find out things about yourself. Yeah, he's like, "I worked there." That's crazy. Yeah. So it shows that the data was accurate.
2: And, uh, you know, these two companies, there was a PDL, which is People Data Labs, and the other one was OxyData, the OxyClean spinoff. I don't trust either of those (laughs) companies. (laughs) (laughs) And so OxyData and PDL, it was all their data, but neither of them owned the server. Neither of them said that it was there, or at least didn't claim it. Uh, And so they're saying, hey, we didn't have a breach. But here's all their data. Are they
0: just saying that to get out of the GDPR fine? Or they're like, Maybe. Oh, crap, that is our data, but just say it's not because we have it backed up.
1: Bill, it says our name on it. <laughs> uh, nope. I can't do that.
0: <laughs> it used to happen in, in – I grew up in St. Augustine. The alligator farms right around the corner. Uh-huh. Uh, the alligators would get out, and they had tags on them. And when people would call and be like, hey, you're, we, there's an alligator in my yard. It's yours. They'd be like, no, that's not. <laughs> like, no, it's got a tag. Well, yeah. we're and he's a wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> it says alligator farm on the
1: crest. <laughs> Same kind of thing. Same kind of thing. Just data so, instead of alligators. So, can I, you think I can call it? How much do you think it's data costs from people at data labs? How much it costs? Yeah. Um, the, in bulk, if you buy all 1.2 billion
2: data's. A lot of them <laughs> charge for like a, a monthly access or whatever. Um What what's that leads company sunset or sunrise something like that? Uh, There's a couple of companies that specialize in this. They they call them like lead sourcing, and you pay either a monthly fee or a per query fee, so you can query the leads and and reach out and contact people. It's kind of a shady business, but it it is on the up and up because people agree to all sorts of stuff and end user license agreements, Uh, and you know the prices can vary pretty widely on that. Ah, you got to talk to somebody. Uh, You should do that
0: no start a whole chat all right let's get uh let's get to it because we've got a great interview to get to here still so uh our next article is over at Ars technica uh case of the twenty thousand dollar cookie hacker one breach lets outside hacker read customers private bug reports company security analysts sent session cookie allowing account takeover that's funny i mean i guess as a company like hacker one you you you're gonna get hacked
2: well, yeah. Uh, the, the embarrassing part here is that uh, they didn't get hacked because their systems weren't secure. They got hacked because one of their employees wasn't secure, mm-hmm. uh, and this wasn't a simple like phishing thing. This is a little more complex. There was a hacker who was working with them, who's actually one of their like forum moderators or whatever. So you know, respected person in their community, uh, who was talking to one of the hacker one employees, and the hacker one employee had sent a link over, and in that link, it contained information about their session token. And the hacker was able to use that token to then connect back and basically access bug reports for any other company, which is, is, is dangerous because there's a lot of people, even like the, the U.S. Navy, I believe, is, is on Hacker One, where in theory, if he could see their bug reports, he might be able to find out about bugs that hadn't been patched yet. Right for customers wasn't looking at now. uh, In this scenario, they you know he responsibly reported it to them. They disabled that access token and um, and then you know they they didn't really have to work to fix it uh, outright because it was just a mistake one of their employees made. Um, But the hacker even told them like here's you know what you could do if you tied these sessions to an IP address, then somebody else wouldn't be able to to steal it back. So um, you know a little bit of a black eye for them, but they they handled it really quick and. Two Nobody's. hours and three minutes after yeah. the report, they uh, pretty quick,
0: um, they shut down that session key.
2: Yep. So the uh, hacker one ended up paying out a twenty thousand dollar bounty on this on their own system. So pretty neat that they eat their own dog food. Yeah, that is cool that they actually
0: uh, admitted it. And I mean that that's what their whole company is based off of. So I mean, and it looks like it was a a white hat uh, hack. And the guy said in the report, "I'm just doing this for." Uh, to show you, I didn't, uh, mm. yep. uh, you know, didn't take anything, didn't mess with anything, but yeah, still exposed. Uh, all right, our last article for the day is at theregister.co.uk, Don's favorite site. Uh, Atlassian scrambles to fix zero-day security hole accidentally disclosed on Twitter. Exposed private cert key uh, may also be used, or may may also be an issue for IBM Espera. So we've got another
2: buzzword yeah. that we, and, we missed today, and this is another white hat hacker. So, uh, Swift on security, which you guys might oh, be yes. familiar with, Taylor Swift. Yep, Taylor Swift, uh, very very active in security community. Uh, so uh, I can't remember the guy's actual name, but uh, so he noticed a odd behavior in one of the Atlassian products, which I've forgotten the name of it. This Confluence. Point. Confluence. Okay, so um, uh, he noticed that it had this like offline mode where it would connect to a domain, which was Atlassian dash domain dash four dash localhost dash connections dash only dot com. And it used a self-signed certificate and self-generated CA to trust that certificate to allow you to access the system when it was in like an offline mode or just you know accessing your local session. The problem was you could extract the private key. And if you did that, you could redirect that domain wherever you wanted, and because you had the private key, you could actually stick a trusted certificate on there, and you could man in the middle of the hell out of somebody uh, pretty easily using this. Now, the Swift on Security guys had had posted a a tweet about this, not realizing how dangerous it was, so he didn't go through responsible disclosure, but not because he was being malicious, just accidental, Uh, but as a result, Atlassian has had to really scramble to get that patched. this issue, they'd actually sort of known about it before, and this was a feature just for backwards compatibility. So they had already told people to like update and get away from that, uh, but now they're having to force that to to get that removed. But it shows some of the dangers that software can introduce that you don't even think about. Like we worry about our web server or our web browser security and and the certificates we trust, but individual applications can have their own trusted certificates too that lead you open or leave you open to some of these attacks. I'm
0: glad uh, Atlassian, uh
2: didn't just shake it off. Yeah.
1: I want to hit you. <laughs> hey, haters gonna hate. Hate, 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 hate. Uh, I know. Hate. It makes it's not helping Peter.
2: Not I've not helping. uh I'm I'm proud of myself. I've actually heard that song. You heard song. that
1: song. Yeah, it's oh, the only yeah. one I could think of. Yeah. <sighs> you disappoint me so much.
0: Yeah, but I make myself so <laughs> proud at the same time. <laughs> it's very sad. Uh, all right. Uh, it is time for our interview. Uh, we have uh, Yanzu, who is going to be joining us from the Bay Area and uh, for the 1% in, in Florida that uh, it's not, that's not Tampa. Um, that is the Silicon Valley out there in uh, in San Francisco, California.
2: You just so, sound so old right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: near the Facebooks, uh, the Googles are out there. All still
1: near that. the MySpaces?
0: Uh yeah, I think so. I think that's still up in that area. Tom and the whole the whole crew. Tom Rich. The spaces. Yeah. Uh but let's do that now. Let's uh let's go ahead and, uh, and take a quick break. And we're gonna come back with that interview right after this on Technado.
1: Will you be in or near Gainesville, Florida anytime soon? Then you should come see IT Pro TV. Make plans to visit the studios. Get a tour, meet your favorite edutainer. See what goes on behind the scenes every day to bring the best of classroom learning to IT professionals around the world. Simply chat with the member services team on the IT Pro TV website and let us know when you'll be visiting. We'll see you soon.
0: Hello and welcome back to TechNATO and we're joined by a very special guest now. We have Jan Zhu who is the CSO at Brave Software joining us. Jan, how you doing?
3: Doing great, how are you?
0: I'm doing really well, and thank you so much for joining us. i uh, I know you have like a a really active uh, schedule. It looks like you got your uh, your hands in a lot of different things with with brave and and various projects that you work with. So um, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us today. So let's get started though uh, with kind of what Brave is for those that aren't familiar with uh, with that browser.
3: Yeah, so Brave is a relatively new web browser. Um, We're available on all platforms, desktop, whatever kind of phone you have. We support it. Um, We started in around 2016 as a browser that's not only focused on privacy and security, but also kind of replacing the the revenue model of the web with something that's more user-centric and user-respecting. So what I mean by that is the web these days is mostly funded by ads, which as any security person knows, has a bunch of security and privacy downsides. So we're trying to replace that with a more private model um, of advertising that's more opt-in and with the option for users to pay content creators directly instead of seeing ads. So that's kind of like the high-level mission of Brave.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because I sit uh, with our, our marketing team here, and so they've got a very different opinion on things uh, than people like Don or Justin that are thinking about security here. Um, so I wanted to just kind of understand, um, like the, the very first first thing kind of on the uh, on the header of, of uh, Brave's website at brave.com, uh, it, it says that you can earn rewards by opting into our privacy-respected ads. So. What is what is that exactly? How how does that work um, versus you know the kind of ads where they're I guess basically tracking you uh, mm-hmm. across all the sites you go to.
3: Right. So um, the way ads work at a pretty high level is advertisers build these profiles of you and what you're uh, interested in. So let's say you're interested in cars and houses, and so advertiser's goal would be to to figure that out and to show you ads related to cars you can buy and houses you can buy. Um, and the way they do that just kind of today involves putting a bunch of trackers on various websites you're visiting and using that to build an online profile of what your interests are. So Brave kind of um, Brave, if you opt into Brave Ads, changes that model by doing local classification to see what your interests are. So if you if you notice your browser actually has a perfect view of what you're interested in because it has a local database that includes your entire browsing history. So kind of um, the idea of Brave is we should just use that local information to figure out your interests and have that profile for you locally without that ever being sent to any third parties. Um, And Brave also loads the entire ads catalog locally. So in effect, when you see a Brave ad, what you're seeing is a local ad that's served locally um, and doesn't involve any network requests until you click on the ad and actually go to the landing page um, for, the, for whoever's hosting the ad. So, so how so. does that
2: impact sites like um, you know, when you go to CNN's website? CNN's website is littered with ads from a number of different places. So when we use Bra- Brave and go there, if we've opted into the Brave ad platform, is it replacing the ads on the web page or is this displayed a different way?
3: So yeah, so it's completely separate Uh, when you go to cnn.com and brave brave will block all of those tracker ads because we block ads and tracking by default and instead um, What while the current ad experience is like a system notification that appears completely outside of the web page, so what you'll get is you'll get this uh, pop-up that says like uh, you have this ad that's that you could click on or you can not click on um, but you can also set the limit to like only show you one of those notifications like let's say like once every 2 hours so it's it's pretty customizable and yeah it's like completely separate from the web pages that you're visiting
1: when you so you said these ads come down are, and are served locally does that mean when i open the browser all of those are pulled down immediately and then additional content is loaded when i click or is that during the install process or how does that work
3: yeah it's like a every roughly like every Uh, I think it's every 24 hours or every like several hours that um, we just download the entire ads catalog for your geographic region. Um, So the idea is we don't want to use like network timing information to figure out like what ads you're seeing. And the only way we can prevent that is just by having every single user download every possible ad in their region. So uh, yeah. I'm pretty curious
2: about your role with Brave because as the chief security officer, for, for most companies, that would make you responsible for the security of the infrastructure of that organization. But because your company is, is basically a security product, right? You know, Brave is supposed to be protecting your your private data. Uh, are you involved in both sides of that in in securing Brave's network infrastructure as well as testing the security features of the browser itself?
3: Yeah, I would actually say I am day to day more of what normal people would call like a product security role. So I spend most of my time like uh, looking at the browser, reviewing reviewing like design decisions and so forth, and like doing code review to make sure that like what we're shipping is in line with the claims that we're making about security and privacy. Um, yeah, we also have like an, uh, one person that's like kind of our head of internal infrastructure security and such. So yeah, it's a little bit of both, I guess.
0: So we kind of went down um the the ads path first in terms of of security. What are some of the other features in brave that that makes it unique? I mean, I know you're still it's still running on on chromium, right so it uh, we're getting kind of that the same experience in terms of rendering um rendering the sites, but there's some other functionality that that makes it a little more secure.
3: yeah, so we are as you said, we are based on chromium, so we inherit all of the you know secure most of the security decisions that google makes with regards to chrome slash chromium um we have a few additional ones like for instance we um <clears throat> we pre- preload this extension called https everywhere actually we we rewrote it all in c instead of as a browser extension but the idea of https everywhere is <clears throat> a lot of websites do support https in the sense that you know, they have a valid TLS certificate, but they haven't been configured to automatically send users to the HTTPS version of the site. So instead, when you type in um, example.com, it'll go to http://example.com, and then maybe you'll get like a 301 or a 302 to the HTTPS version. But the problem is when you make that initial insecure request over HTTP, uh, obviously that can be intercepted and man in the middle. So HTTPS Everywhere is just a long list of rules for sites which we know supports HTTPS, um, but don't automatically go there. So instead, when you type in example.com and Brave, it should just automatically upgrade to HTTPS. Um, And that was actually a project that was started by the EFF several years ago.
0: Now, does that have to do with with Let's Encrypt? Because I know that's something you were involved in uh, with EFF.
3: So HTTPS Everywhere preceded Let's Encrypt by a few years. Um, But yeah, Let's Encrypt is obviously like vastly increasing the number of sites that support HTTPS on the web. So I would say these are kind of related projects. Like one of them increases the number of sites that have valid TLS connections and the other one makes sure that you're using those TLS connections when it's available.
2: You know, you're very active in this space. So I want to get your opinion on something. There was a an article we reported on a few months ago about how Google was going to stop displaying company names for extended validation certificates. You know, like on our side or Amazon, where it shows that green box with the company's name to let you know they went through that extra, uh, extra testing. With Let's Encrypt, obviously you don't have that because it's mostly automatically authorized and so on, uh, which is is good enough for most people. So there's a there's a opinion right now that extended validation certificates are about to go away and and not really be a thing. Uh, In your work with Let's Encrypt and others, are you of that same opinion? Are are extended validation certificates no longer necessary?
3: Yeah, I think they're not as useful, honestly, as some people think they are, because there was this one um, researcher who found that literally all you need to get an extended validation certificate is like, 177 dollars so what it really proves is that you have 177 dollars to spend on the certificate issuing process right (laughs) and so um a lot of people think like oh if you have an ev cert what it means is like you know your bank or you're like a legitimate company like stripe but you know in in reality it's like tls if someone has the resources to get an ev cert they can do it so yeah i think the use is you know there is some use because a lot of um like low level phishing attackers won't go to the effort to get this fancy green certificate, but beyond that, I, th- I think uh, it's yeah, it's less useful than a lot of people try to make it out to be and And most of the people that have said, you know, please support extended validation certificates in brave and show that like green bar have in some way been affiliated with cas, I think so
2: and I, I think, I, I'm trying to remember if i read this or not, um, that you guys were integrating Tor functionality into Brave as well? I saw that, yeah.
3: Yeah, so we actually already have Tor functionality in Brave um, in the form of Tor private windows. So if you go to Brave and you can say, like, open a private window or open a private window with Tor um, on desktop, not supported yet on mobile. And if you open a private window with Tor, then the connections in that window only will be routed
0: for which are you saying that when i open a, a, a incognito tab in, in chrome um it's not as incognito as i thought it was because this, this could
2: be a, a concern you get that worried look yeah i mean asking for a friend uh,
0: completely yeah. but uh i should i should do that in brave then
3: yeah i mean that's one thing we're trying to address is you know a lot of people when they open incognito tabs or, or incognito windows they think like oh this means the website doesn't know who I am or doesn't see my IP address and my employer doesn't see my IP address. Well, neither of that is true because incognito windows don't do anything to change your IP address unless you're using something like Tor and Brave. Well,
0: uh, while you mentioned IP address, it, 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 I don't have a question related to this, but just wanted to share an amazing... Uh, The tweet that you had from a a couple days ago, you said you got the best uh, hacker one report ever. Someone reported that an attacker website can figure out a person's IP address by, quote, gaining local access to the person's machine then installing Node.js web server and using the IP NPM uh, package to get the IP. And I I love the comments. I, I like sat there for 10 minutes yesterday. One of the comments was that's like breaking into someone's house to get a piece of mail so you can figure out their address. It's like, <laughs> I, I just enjoy that. Any other great uh, uh, bug reports or, or, or reports, bugs, uh, hacker <laughs> one reports that you've gotten?
3: Oh man, so many. I think anyone who runs a bug bounty just sees so many reports that are just like bogus. I feel like um, everyone gets one that's like, Uh, If I have a TLS certificate for your website, like I can man in the middle it, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, obviously, that's (laughs) true. But you have to first get a TLS certificate. Um, We, we, I think Brave gets a bunch, especially that are like, oh, if I can get local access to your machine, I can see your browser history, I can see your like cryptocurrency wallets. And so we have to say like explicitly, like, no, you can't. Just say, like, if I have local access to your machine, I can do this because then it's like pretty much game over in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, well, you just
0: brought up cryptocurrency. So there, there's a, a crypto component built in to the browser as well where, where I think you kind of mentioned it a little bit when we were talking about ads. But but you can actually uh, pay the content creators uh, directly through uh, through a cryptocurrency you guys provide there. How, how does that work?
3: Yeah, so we try to not make the cryptocurrency aspect like too um, prominent to users because a lot of people are scared of cryptocurrency or they, um, or they don't know how to set up a wallet. So uh, on the surface, like we just say, like you can pay content creators using Brave, but yeah, under the hood, the way those payments work is that they're done in uh, Brave's cryptocurrency, which is called the basic attention token. And so um, when users sign up for Brave, they can either, like, if they're technical, they can, like, buy this token and then use it to pay creators. Or we actually can also give them these grants of tokens. um, And then they can uh, allocate, like, monthly tips or monthly auto contributions to the creators that they visit the most.
2: All right. So before the interview, I I was thinking, all right. She's the CSO for Brave. Brave is a security browser. It's got a lot of visibility, a lot of eyes on it. That sounds like a pretty hard job. But as we've been talking, there's all these different features that you have jammed in there. And so now I'm changing my opinion from it sounds like a hard job to it sounds like an impossible job. How, how do you how do you test and maintain all those different features? Because it, there's new stuff rolling out all the time, right?
3: Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, we have like Several different projects going on simultaneously at any given time to the point where it's it's hard for me to keep track of what's happening Um, and obviously like i'm not, you know, super deep into all of these because we have about a hundred staff members now Um, Yeah, so my team is about five people and the way we work is we kind of um, have this process called security reviews where if someone's developing a feature and they think that it could have any security impact, we just say like please open a security review and tell us about like what you think the potential impact is and then we'll like take a closer look at it. So yeah, it's it's definitely like too much for us to like spend all of our time just looking at every single feature that rolls out. But we try to at least like focus on the things that could potentially have some impact.
2: And I imagine you get a good bit of community involvement as well, right? That there's, uh, is Brave open source?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's fully open source. All right. So, so
2: people are reviewing code, you get bug reports and are, are you guys on HackerOne or? Yeah, do we just, have a HackerOne you know?
3: account. <coughs> account.
2: Perfect. So, let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about you personally. like as a you're a CSO now, but a lot of our listeners are always curious about how people got into their position. And I know you've worked with a number of organizations, but ha- how did you get started in IT? what What made you think you wanted to do this for a career?
3: Right. Um, I think I actually got started as an open source contributor because um, I, didn't, I don't i don't I don't study like programming or CS in college. But uh, after I graduated, I kind of became interested in uh, the stuff that like the Tor project and EFF were working on, because it was very related to you know, like internet privacy and just kind of doing good for people on the web. Um, <clears throat> so I started like volunteering and making open source contributions to the Tor project and EFF. Uh, and that eventually led to me being hired by EFF as a full-time staff member. Um, just kind of as a software engineer. And then, yeah, from there, I uh, worked at on the Yahoo security team for a, a year and then um, and then I was uh, recruited by Brave when they were like I think six people. So yeah, back then when we were a small team, we didn't have roles like chief security officers, kind of just like CEO, CTO, and then some software engineers. Um, but as we grew, it kind of we kind of started segmenting into, um, like a security team, a DevOps team, engineering, et cetera. And uh, at that point, I just kind of started to run the security team.
0: So, uh, what is kind of coming down the line for Brave? I know a, a few of the features we've we've talked about, like the um, the tour tabs and things like that. You've mentioned you know not out for mobile yet. So, is that kind of the focus right now? Getting getting a lot going with mobile, or um, you know, what what's the future?
3: Yeah, so we're always trying to keep um, parity between our desktop browser and our mobile browsers. So until recently, a big focus was um, getting the whole bat tipping system and content creator reward system um, from desktop to full support on iOS and Android. And so that's that's been mostly done now. Um, another thing we're working on actively is supporting tips on more platforms. So currently, if you use Brave, you can actually tip Any YouTube, uh, Twitter, and I think GitHub user, and some other platforms. Uh, So we want to support more of those, like SoundCloud. Like, what if you could go to SoundCloud and like you you hear a song that you like, um, and you want to give a tip to whoever made the song? So, Brave in the future will have a tip button that says like you know tip to the SoundCloud creator. So yeah, I think that's pretty exciting because a lot of platforms don't support like direct tipping to creators and so we want to make that possible.
2: You know, I I didn't realize you guys had Brave on iOS. And Mm -hmm. I I'm curious because a lot of the features we've talked about are stuff that Apple doesn't normally allow. Like don't don't they force you to use their rendering engine and, and things like that. How how do you guys how do you guys maintain even close to feature parity on iOS?
3: Well so we uh yeah so we do have to use like their rendering engine and that has its own set of limitations. So basically like you you can use their rendering engine, but you can also do a bunch of stuff like outside of that That makes the browser more like have its own custom look and have its own uh, Special features. So yeah, we are sort of limited by Apple But so far it hasn't been like completely insurmountable And of course they also have some restrictions on the app store and I think we were like um, Slightly uncertain whether they would approve our app once they had like this cryptocurrency payment system built in but luckily they did so I think we're in the clear now on that front.
0: So if you're if you're watching Technado on YouTube uh through Brave, go ahead and smash that tip button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Set up to come right to my wallet. So we'll um, be all set there. Thank you for but that. But you're using that uh Tor. Oh, crap, cool. Yeah, that they, torta- they can't yeah, find me. Then. Yeah, they can't find you. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's an incognito. Pitch, oh, that's in, so. yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yep. Chrome. Um So if uh, if people want to uh, go ahead and uh, and get the browser, they just head over to brave.com?
3: Yep, just brave.com.
0: All right, and how can people uh, connect with you? Like I said, you're pretty active on on Twitter. I, I uh, fell down a rabbit hole. Oh, God, that was rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, there is a rabbit <laughs> concert one. coming up. You'll have to go over to. Your, uh, so, where, where is it? It's, uh, Bcrypt, right? Yeah. BCR. Like the hash PP. function. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh yes, of course. So, uh, so head over there. Any any other ways people should reach you, or any events coming up that uh, they can see you speak at, or anything like that?
3: Um. So I will be speaking at Enigma mm-hmm. 2020. Uh, so that's in January 2020 in San Francisco. Um, I don't think I have any other talks coming up, so that's the main one.
0: All right, cool. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you uh, so much. Like I said, I know you're extremely busy, so thank you for taking uh, the time to speak with us today.
3: Thank you. That was great. Yeah,
0: and thank you all of you for watching, but stay tuned because we have more TechNATO coming up right after this.
2: Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer Cherokee Boost, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. Just head to youtube.com forward slash IT Pro TV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. US
1: Eastern Time.
0: All right, welcome back to Technado and thank you so much to Yan for joining us. Uh, that was that was cool, and I know uh, Justin, you've already downloaded uh, Brave there.
1: Yeah, I, I've been playing with it. It's it, I had to close it out because it was kind of distracting. So, um, <laughs> so too fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But, but uh, I got. Wait,
0: are you sure you didn't download Brave the movie? Cause that is very uh, distracting wait a minute. as well. Redhead.
1: Scott? The browser's not the redhead movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to... Oh, no. Yeah, I, I found it on Netflix. I just downloaded... it. Yeah, right? I was like, I don't... Brave.com, whatever, I found it over here. Uh, but no, I, I've been playing around with it. It seems pretty slick. Um, I loaded up a couple of culprits that I find, weather.com, mm-hmm. and uh, it was fast, and I could read the weather. Yeah, we didn't mention it, but uh, they say on their website that it uh, is eight times faster
0: um, than... Comparable, I guess, probably other Chromium browsers are, you know, when they're loading all of those uh, third party uh, trackers and ads and things like that. So, you know, speed, it's a, uh, and a nice um, side effect of security. That's good. Woohoo. Wow. All right. Donna's on board (laughs) as well. Hey, want to let you know about a couple of things before we let you go. First of all, uh, we do have some webinars coming up. If you head over to itpro.tv slash webinars, you can see what's next, which is high-velocity IT, leading your team in a VUCA environment. Uh, And that takes place Thursday, December 12th uh, with Joe Peacock. Uh, It's 2 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. So uh, head over to uh, itpro.tv slash webinars. You can register for that one. You can also check out all of the past webinars uh, we've had. Uh, we've also got something a little fun uh, going on here in the month of December when things kind of uh, slow down. If you head over to uh, to Pro TV, we're also going to be playing Jeopardy live uh, with Don Pezet as your host and a few of the edutainers here um, as the, the contestants. Uh, so we're going to be doing that as a live event um, that is the 17th of December at 2pm uh, Eastern U.S. time as well. Uh, all you have to do for that is head over to IT Pro TV and uh, and sign up for a free account, and you can watch that in the live channel. If you're already a member, uh, you've got access to that, and you don't have to uh, don't have to pay for that. Um, the live channel is always free uh, for anyone that uh, is a subscriber, uh, free or paid. So uh, definitely check that out. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and finally, uh, when you're done with that and be, and and you're like, wow, this. This IT Pro TV thing it's is great. Uh, you can move over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, and there you can sign up for an account uh, with a 30% off coupon code. Also, uh, we have some information there. If you would like to get a demo of IT pro TV for your team uh, and see all the cool business features available, uh, that's at go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, well this was a fun one. That was a really cool interview, and, and uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll check out Brave too. I mean I I, you know, my personal information is already everywhere.
1: So, I mean, I suspect that ours as well. But, right, that you shouldn't use that as a justification to continue to spread. That's true. I like ads, though. I like. I I like. I. I do not.
2: I I would point out that you have an iPhone without a headphone jack, so you're already brave. (sighs)
0: Oh. Well, they didn't give me an option. I wasn't. They <laughs> forced you. They uh, did give you uh, an option. Yeah. They gave you that little dongle that came with it. Yeah. Well, I uh, I just got a drill with a uh, <laughs> one thirty second. I believe <laughs> the headphone jack. It's is right still under, there. There. It's <laughs> under there. It's just for waterproof. Yeah. yeah. You just got to open it back up. So broke the seal off the old iPhone there, and I'm I'm good to go.
1: I but, feel compelled to say, don't do this. At don't all. do that. Yeah. <laughs> After you take
0: your iPhone out of the microwave to charge it. Yeah. Uh, do not do uh,
1: that. Put it in rice and set it on fire.
0: All right. Done. and We apologize for that, but uh, there's still time and time for Christmas to get
2: a new iPhone. Yep. 11 Pro. Using Justin's affiliate code, apparently. <laughs> I'm waiting for next year. They don't have enough cameras yet. They yeah. don't.
1: They don't. Yeah. I want a thing that's just a sphere and it's just lenses looking at me the whole time.
2: I saw a funny picture this week because Samsung announced a phone that had like four or five cameras on the back arranged in a really weird pattern. And so somebody put out a thing. It was supposed to be Samsung's roadmap for camera positioning, and it was a b- bunch of dominoes. It's <laughs> <laughs> so more well, yeah. dots each time. It's a six or five.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. But uh, come on back next. Year. We're going to have fun again uh, right here in Technado. See you then.